All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First General Truman. Uh, all of those on the live stream and here uh, in the house this morning, we're glad you're here. Hey, Petey, glad you're here. All right. Let's go to word, uh, Lord and word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather and to worship you, Father, to lift up your name and to praise you for all that you've done for us. Father, we, uh, we especially come to you today with this uh, celebrating our harvest day and, Father, just uh, being able to look upon this last year and see how, um, how you have just continued to bless us, uh, even though the world seems to be a chaotic mess out there. You have continued to love us and care for us and take care of us, Father, and we're so thankful for that. Father, we pray this morning as Brother Aaron brings your message, uh, we pray that, uh, that the words that you have for him today will touch somebody's heart. And Father, if they don't know Jesus already as their Savior, that they will come to know him. Father, again, thank you for all of your blessings and the lovings that you uh, bestow upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All throughout history, faithfulness has walked beside me. The winter storms may wait for spring, in every season from where I'm standing, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. I see your promises in fulfillment all over my life, all over my life. Help me.
just getting started when I hit a wall that you just walked through when I face a mountain you are the maker so it's gotta move when I'm out of faith you are still faithful when I'm at my worst you are still
may be seated. Aaron's going to come on up. I'm going to pray for him. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word, to sing songs of praise. We are so thankful, God, for all you've done for us, God. And for every person here, for every family here, for every soul here, God, you have done so much. And you have been so good to us, Lord. And we just thank you for that. And even when things are not going so well, Lord, we just want to give you the praise. Lord, we thank you especially for Aaron, for his family, Lord, for their willingness to work for you. Lord, I pray for him. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon him, anoint him this morning. God, as he speaks your word. God, we just love him. We thank you so much for him and for his family, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you would just touch him right now and touch our hearts as he preaches your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Well, um, Daryl came to me several months ago, and I, believe me, it was months, and asked if I'd be willing to preach Harvest Day. He thought about it. He'd uh, considered several, and he couldn't get me off of his mind, in his words. And reluctantly, I, I said yes. I, was, I haven't preached. I haven't been up here in probably a year and a half. I guess pre-COVID is the last time it's been since I've been up here to bring the word, and um, I'm excited about it, thank, thank God for that, I'm, I'm nervous, of course, as, as most would be when you haven't been up here for a while, it feels like the first time, but I figure what's the worst that can happen, I either do a good job and you're happy, or I do a bad job and I don't have to do it anymore, <laughs> so um, we're going to start in Mark chapter 2, this morning if you have your Bibles, there's also a somewhat of an outline on the left side of the bulletin, I'll do my best to follow along with that as well. But we're in Mark chapter 2. As Amy come and uh, spoke this morning, she said that uh, parables were one of the things that I led the youth group in. She's right. It was absolutely um, almost paramount for me to get their knowledge of what Jesus has done in some of these parables and speak to them in that way because it's important for us to know that Jesus talked to people in a way they could understand it. And so for me, as I'm speaking and as I'm speaking this morning, so far I found it easier to preach on things that Jesus himself has done in his life. And that's where we'll be at this morning. This is during the life of Jesus. Mark, Matt's going to put it up on the screen, starting with Mark chapter 2. It says, and again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And in, in the NIV version, it also says he had come home. And so I, I wanted to kind of uh, break this down. I'm not going to read the whole passage at first. I'm just going to break it down verse by verse as we go through. But I, I've been... Um, kind of going with our young Sunday school class, our younger Sunday school class, whatever you want to call our class, we've been talking a lot about context the last few months and what verses and how they're taken out of context and how we need context to go into things. And so the context of this verse, and I'm just going to briefly go over it, in Mark chapter 1, what happens is Jesus is beginning his ministry. Jesus has uh, found a few disciples. He's called them. He came to Capernaum to start to speak. He went to the synagogue, to the church. And as he's leading people and teaching people, he starts to cast out demons. And then he goes to um, Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law. You may remember that story. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And he's, he's becoming famous really quickly for doing all these miraculous healings. That's what we're going to talk about today. Actually, in um, this one verse that I want to read out of Mark chapter 1, verse 32, it says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. So Jesus is becoming so popular, things are happening so fast, that towns are gathering at this house of Peter. Uh, it even says, a man with leprosy came and he healed the man with leprosy. And so Jesus is telling people, even the man with leprosy, after he heals them, don't say anything. After I've healed you with this, go to the priest and go through your, you know, the things you're supposed to do once you're clean, but don't tell anybody about it. And it says he cast out demons and demons knew who he was, but he even commanded the demons not to speak. And tell who he was. And all that's important when we start thinking about the context of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus knew that things were happening so fast and people were coming in such great crowds that he couldn't control it anymore. And so we'll, we'll continue on uh, with verse 2. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. 
This is believed to be the house of Peter. That's where he's back at again. So he had come home. He had, he had left for a few days, a few weeks, and he'd been preaching at other small towns. And if you want to go back and look later, you came in, in Mark. But Jesus had prayed about it, and he's like, you know what? It's time for me to leave Capernaum for a few days. I need to get out. I've come to preach. That's what I've come. I've not come to heal. I've come to preach. And so he's preaching in these other towns, and then now he's gathered back here. And once people hear he's back in town, that's, that's where we're at here. Um, I wish, I really do, I wish the house was packed. I wish it was wall-to-wall, seat-to-seat, so you guys could get a little bit of an understanding of what it was like that day. But I don't. So the closest thing I can have for you guys is somewhat of an example. And Matt's going to put a picture up on the screen. But have you ever been Black Friday shopping? Okay, I have a unique perspective on Black Friday shopping. I was an officer here in Truman, and they called me a couple different times to come into Walmart and work Black Friday shopping. It was new to me. I didn't have an idea that they had to have police officers work this, but apparently cheap towels and cloths and comforter sets are what people really want at Christmas time. And I got to thinking about that and the perspective that I had as an officer there, because everybody there has their own story. Everybody has their own needs, their own wants, and what they're really trying to get. And they're willing to go to great lengths for it. And so as we think about this house that's so full of people, they're hearing about what Jesus is doing, and they're so, they're so driven to get to him to be healed. And as we, as we think about this this morning, as you think about uh, the scriptures and what we have, I want you to think about what is your greatest need this morning. What are you really searching for? What is it that God's laid on your heart that that's what you really need? And uh, so we'll continue on and talk about a little bit about perspective. Um, what is perspective? So I looked it up. The dictionary is just a, simply says a way of regarding something, how you see something. All of our perspectives are different. If you look at a umpire, I think Matt has a picture of, of that for us. If you look at an umpire, he has a unique perspective that directly affects the outcome of that game. Same thing with a referee. Same thing with the football uh, ref. It's they, they have a unique perspective. He can only call what he sees, or should only call what he sees behind the plate. And that perspective is unique to him. What a coach sees on this side or on this side of the field may not be exactly what he sees, but it's his job to make that call. And so he has a unique perspective that directly affects the game. When you look at an artist, when they're trying to portray how to draw something, and they, they want to know what the viewer's perspective is. I think he has a picture of, of that as well. So this is one of the probably easiest pictures to find. If you were to draw that or if you were to take pictures of that perspective in photographers, they have a certain way of looking at things. And it's all through their lens. And why this is important is because how we see things directly affects everything that we do in life. What you've been through, your experiences, you know, your hardships, your turmoil, even your good times directly affect what your perspective is and what you see. God may be trying to show you something that can be right in front of you, but if your mind is not on God, if your mind is not, you know, looking at what he wants you to see, it's hard to see that sometimes. The last one I have, the last picture that he's going to put up is simply this. It's a glass of water. And I figured I'd be too nervous to shake and set an actual glass up here, so I put something with a lid on it. Um... But as we see that glass of water and what we see when it sits there or even up here, what you see, people will even say, changes your personality, is your personality type. Do you see the glass is half full? Do you see the glass is half empty? Do you see the glass has just got water in it? You know, are you a pessimist, an optimist, a realist? What do you see? And as I, as I thought more about this, there's ways to see this cup of water, glass of water in different ways, even as you sit there. If I said, well, it's half full, they would automatically say, well, you're an optimist. You see the glass is half full, that's good. But what if you saw the glass is half empty because you poured it out for someone else? Is that not an optimistic thing to say? Is that not a way to look at it to say it's still positive because you're helping out someone else? And so as we, as we go through these, uh, this single story, as we talk about what this man is going through, think about his perspective, his friend's perspective, but then also your perspective. What have you gone through in life? What have you seen in life that has caused you to think about things or do things in the way that you're doing them? And how is that furthering your cause and your purpose? We'll continue on into verse 3. It says, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic who was carried by four men. 
Now, we don't know a lot about the man. I've, I've done some research. Like I said, I've had several months to prepare for this. And if you get through and you're here and say, well, you had several months to repair. He didn't do a good enough job. I'm sorry. Okay, but the truth is I've tried to find out as much as I could about this man and his friends. And you'll find some that will say, chances are this paralytic was not a paralytic for life. They'll say he probably um, had something happen to him that caused this because he had four friends that were willing to bring him to Jesus. They say if he was born like this, more than likely he would have been a social outcast. He would have been somebody that didn't have any friends, didn't have any way to get around. And so we, we think about his perspective in that, what he's been through and then what he's going through. We don't know all the circumstances. We know he could have been married. He could have had a wife. We don't know. Kids. Either way, what we do know is this man was going through something in his life that was important enough that he knew he needed to get to Jesus. And we also know he had four friends that were willing to help get him there. Now, this isn't something that was like modern-day times. You take him and put him in the back of your pickup truck, and we're going to help him get to Jesus. This wasn't we call an ambulance, and we help him get to Jesus. And um, I think it says... Yeah, verse 4. So we'll continue on to verse 4. It says, They came bring to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above him, digging through it, and then lowered the mat that he was lying on. It wasn't just that they had to carry him. These men, we don't know how far they went. We don't know what they went through to get him there. All we know is that they had a purpose, and that was to try to get this paralyzed man to Jesus. Now, you can imagine the conversation as you carry this guy, and you're like, all right, we're going to get him to Jesus. And then you show up, and it's like Black Friday. The, the rooms are not like this room. The house is not like this house that he's in. It's probably a smaller house. I'd say probably about a fourth of the size of this room. It held 50 to 60 people. That's the size of the house. It's a one-story. It's a, probably a, some sort of brick, mud, outer uh, house. It's got stairs up the outside. And the, man can, the men can actually get there from there, and that's what they do. They, they decide we can't get even close to Jesus and so you can imagine the conversation as they're trying to peek through the house and see where Jesus is at and, and kind of figure out, hey, how are we going to get him in there? There's no way. It's probably further from me to the back of this room to even get close because there's so many people around here that want to be healed. And so they come up with this plan. And they decide, we are going to carry this man up on the roof. And at some point, they decide they're going to dig through the roof. Now, this is most likely Peter's house. And most likely, Peter's mother-in-law lives there. I can tell you for certain, she's probably going to be upset when they start digging through this roof. But these guys are not concerned with anything else but getting this man to Jesus. And to have those, there's, there have been so many sermons taught and preached over the enthusiasm of these men, how great a friendship these men have. How it must be so great to have four friends you can call on to get you anywhere. I know there's been tons of sermons like that. And that's great to look at in that perspective. But to sit and think about what they were thinking and what they were doing as they were doing this is more about their faith. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But so they, they have this conversation with the man and they decide we're going to get up on the roof and they're going to start uncovering the roof. It literally says to uncover the roof. And what happens is it's not, they don't have a shovel. You're not taking off shingles. It's mud and, you know, mixture thatch and, and weeds and just junk and they're digging through it with their hands and so you can imagine their perspective of this is they're on their hands and feet just starting to dig through a roof possibly a foot to a foot and a half thick of just mud and mixture and beams they've got beams that are so wide and they're having to dig through this <clears throat> and as they do that what they're thinking this is a lot of trouble to go through to get this guy here is that what they're thinking or man I can't wait to get this guy to Jesus I can't wait to see what God's going to do when we get him there. And what is the friend thinking? Is he sitting there lying, waiting, and just patiently? I mean, he's, he's paralyzed. He can't move. And so <clears throat> all these things I've been thinking about this week, and I've been thinking about what is important to them and what is important to him. Um, as they dig through the mud and the thatch, you can imagine the people on the inside. If we were sitting here having church this morning and stuff started to fall from the roof, 
I can only imagine all your thoughts individually as stuff started to fall down, what we'd be thinking. I know some of you, what you'd be thinking. And be critters, squirrels, what do we got going on up there? And stuff starts to fall down. And it, they, they says they lowered him right in front of Jesus. And we'll find out in a minute. But So it's, it's literally right in front. It's a huge distraction for the people on the inside. And what were the people on the inside thinking? You know, Jesus is here. He's here to come heal us. I want to be healed. Why are these people trying to mess this up for me? You know, all these different things and all these different perspectives that we see. And that's why perspective is so important. But so it says, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat he was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, we bring in a whole new realm of intriguing uh, wording here by Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith did he see? He saw the man's faith who were digging. He saw their drive and their faith and their belief that Jesus could do something nobody else could do for their friend. And so Jesus looked at them, saw their faith, and told the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know if they had ropes. A lot of people believe they had ropes and they were lowered down. But I can just imagine if you're on the roof and you're lowering this man down in front of Jesus, and he stops, and Jesus looks up, and he goes, son, your sins are forgiven you. The guys holding the ropes were just looking at each other. Like, now what? Do we haul him back up? Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate that. I I'm sure they were thinking in their minds, this is not what we came here for. We came here so he could walk. We didn't bring him here so you could forgive his sins. We brought him here so he could walk. You've been doing all these healings for all these people. You've held lep leprosy. You've cast out demons. He has an immediate need. We see his need is so evident. Why are you not fixing that? You can't tell me some of them are not thinking that. And so Jesus looks at them, and he's just trying to explain to them that he sees his immediate need. He sees the priority for him. That's the next part. What is your priority? A lot of times, and I think this is the one point in the story where we can all relate, where all of us can say, look, I've got this going on in my life, Jesus. This is what I really need healing with. I've got this going on today, Jesus. I really need you to fix this for me. And Jesus is saying, no. I know what your immediate need is. I see your immediate need. And for some of us, for all of us, that immediate need is very evident. It's forgiveness. And some of us look at that and say, well, I've been forgiven. You know, I know Jesus has forgiven me. That's not my immediate need. Perpetual forgiveness is something that Jesus has given all of us, and I think we kind of push that out the way. You see, when Jesus forgave him, there was no applause. There was no sense of, hey, everybody, yes, he forgave him. That's great. Yes, that's what we were coming for. That's not what they thought. What we actually see is the opposite. The leaders of the church are the scribes. And this is what we'll find out in the next verse. It says, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They are half right. Jesus is the only one that forgives sins, can forgive sins. They were absolutely right in that. But what they had failed to see is that Jesus saw what they didn't see, the priority, the need that this had, man had that was more important than any other need they could have thought of. They thought they saw the need. They thought it was evident. You know, this is what he really needs. It's evident to see he needs this. And Jesus says no. Now, when I think about our priorities, and I think about my priorities, and what we pray for most, it's pretty evident. Health, finances, relationships, those three things are probably 99% of the things that we pray for. If you pray and you think about the prayers that you've had, that's most of what you're going to pray for. The health of you or somebody else, paying your bills, getting through, paying for your kids. Lord knows kids want a bunch of stuff. And, and your relationships. You know, what kind of relationships do you have that, that you're trying to mend or befriend or just anybody in this world? That's 99% that's of what we're going to pray about. And there's no faster way to get your priorities in order than to figure out what Jesus wants for you. Now, um, I have an example. I, I use this, and I talk about this some with Kobe, but priorities is something that is a lot like perspective. Perspective is how we see something. Priority is the order in which we place it, how high up we put something over something else. 
And so when I think about my priorities, my dad told me he's here this morning, so I'm glad to have him here. But he told me a lot when I was younger, especially golfing, your priorities are out of whack, son. You ever heard that? Somebody ever told you that? Your priorities are out of whack. And usually it's, if they say out of whack, it's somebody from the South, first of all. But if they say that, it's probably because you've got things out of order in your life. You're not putting the proper perspective on things and the proper priority on things in the order they go. There's no faster way to lose your priorities than on a golf course. I'm here to tell you that. And your perspective. You think your things are going well, and just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you may lose religion and all on one single hole. And, and I'm no bigger testament to that. I'm the biggest testament to that there is. But keeping those things in order is of such importance because God wants us to know. Even Kobe's coach, I love this about him. I'm going to say it right here. Kobe's coach, he has a letter that what he expects out of the kids each year. And the first thing he says is, God first, family second, school third, basketball fourth. That's the priority list he has for them. And the good thing about priorities is you can actually make that list. It's not like perspective where it's different, where you see differently than everybody else. Priorities is a confirmed list of what order you should place things in. And he also told them, guys, you'll see there is no girls on that list. And I'm thankful for that. That's not, there's not room for that, but no. Um, but as we talk about priorities and we talk about the things that the, the, the teachers of the law were seeing, they said, this isn't, this isn't what he can do. This guy can't do that. We have a set of rules that we have to follow. When we want to uh, forgive someone for their sins, there are certain things you have to do. You have to go through uh, a set of stuff. You have to bring an animal in. We have to sacrifice an animal. You have to have a certain person do it. You have to stand in line. All these things, you have to go to a certain place. All these things are so important. You can't just step over that step and say, we're going to forgive your sins. And this is, and it says right there, um, actually, I don't know. Verse 6, they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? So they didn't even say it. And Jesus responds, and he immediately knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking. And he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven you, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. Which is easier to say? For them, for us, you can almost say both are equally impossible. Which is easier to say? We can't do either without Jesus. Our sins aren't forgiven. If we're paralyzed, we can't walk. And this, this is the most important point, I think, in the whole scripture. At least that's what I've taken away from it. But Jesus turns in verse 10 and says, But so you will know that I have the power to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go home. So you will know that I have the power to forgive sins. Where's the importance? Where's the priority? Jesus looks at all the people in that room. Jesus looks at the paralyzed man and their or the paralyzed man and his friend's faith, everything that's happened, and he puts the priority where it should be. So you know that I can forgive his sins, I'm gonna heal him. And there's so many times in our life that we we want Jesus to do things for us. Jesus, please do this. If you're real, do this for me. Send me a sign. Jesus, if this is really what you want me to do, make this easy for me. Make this decision easy. If you really want me to get this job, Lord, call, call me. Have them call me and give me this, offer me this job, and I'll know that's what I need to do. But sometimes Jesus is putting this perspective and this priority on us to know that things aren't always going to be the easiest route. Sometimes you have to go through the struggle to find the strength later on. Sometimes that's the only way you're going to get through it later on is the struggle that hits you beforehand. Um, Matt has one verse in Matthew that I'm going to have him put up. I kind of skipped over it, but I want to read it. Jesus said to them, this is, this is where our priorities come into line. This is one of the things when I thought about priority and I thought about a list and I thought about the things that Jesus has told us to do. This is what Jesus said in Matthew. He said, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. This is, this is absolutely a list you could put on there as a priority because it's a command. It's not something that you see. It's different for how you see it. It's not different for Kobe than it would be for me or Daryl than it would be for me. This is for everybody. And this is what Jesus has told us to do. Love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And love your neighbor as yourself. So when you talk about priorities, that should be at the top of the list. Now, when we talk about um, Jesus and telling this to the man, he says, I want you to know that, you ha- that I have the authority to forgive you. Take up your mat and go home. Jesus fulfilled and found the whole purpose for everything that's happened today right here. The man could have lived his whole life not knowing what Jesus had for him to do, not wondering why he'd been paralyzed, wondering why Jesus wasn't healing him. And all of a sudden now he had this opportunity. He'd heard Jesus was coming. There was people everywhere that it looked like a long shot to even get to him. Now he'd been lowered in front of him, and he'd finally been healed. And he can look back and see his purpose that Jesus had for him. In the moment, purpose is one of the hardest things to find. And that's why at the beginning of this, I titled it Perspective Plus Priority Equals Purpose. A lot of times we can't see the purpose. If we get our perspective in line and we get our priorities in order, we can find our purpose. And you'll notice once Jesus said this, it says he got up, took his mat, and went out into the presence of them all, and they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is the part that amazed them. When Jesus did the healing, they were all amazed. But when Jesus forgave them, everybody was questioning. Everybody was wondering. And it's almost a a judgment on us, saying, have we really missed the biggest point that he's trying to make? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key. This This is such a good week to be thankful for so many things. As we come to Harvest Day and we come up to Thanksgiving and it's truly a day that we can be thankful for so many things. If there's one thing we have to be thankful for above anything else, it's forgiveness. I hope that we are not forgetting that and pretending we have other needs that are more immediate. All these things in life that we have to deal with, our bills and our health and our relationships, they're all temporary things. All are temporary. The only thing that's going to matter once we're done with this life is do we have a relationship with Jesus? Do we have a relationship with Jesus that will hold us through the the end of time, through eternal time? And so many times our priorities get mixed up and our perspective gets mixed up. Jesus, I can't, I can't even, I'm going to tell you guys right now, sure as I'm standing here, I couldn't hardly think about anything else this week. For the past couple of months, I did really well. I did really well preparing for this and kind of putting off saying, I've got time, let's just study this, let's go through it. And for the last week, especially the last couple days, it's consumed me. Absolutely consumed me. When I think, when I get up in the morning, it's the first thing I think about. When I lay my head down, it's the last thing I think about. And I'm finding my purpose in this. Jesus is telling me, that's the purpose. That's what I want for you. All these things, Amy came up and talked earlier about how she was comfortable and yeah, absolutely, it's, it's comf- comfortability that we seek, that we want, that we, we hope for, but Jesus said that's not our purpose. Sometimes the hardest things is where we grow the most. Daryl says that all the time up here. You find your purpose through things that will make you grow, and sometimes that's the hardest things. One of the things I wrote down this week that I, that I put in here says, we can have blank and enjoy life. And you could fill that blank with so many things. But this morning, I really thought it was important to put in that blank, problems. We can have problems and still enjoy life. If we keep things in perspective and we put the priority where it needs to be and we're truly thankful this week for the forgiveness that God has given us, we can have problems and enjoy life. We all know people that we really want to reach them because they're tough to be around. You have people at work every day. They're always upset about something. Well, it, you don't have to let everybody know that you have problems every day. Everybody's got problems. We all have problems. And some are different than others. We talked about perspective earlier. Everybody's problems are different. But the truth is, if you are forgiven, that forgiveness should 
absolutely transition into your attitude, into your enjoyment of life, into your outlook of how you treat other people, all of those things. And that's, that's the main message that God has us, uh, for us this morning. I'm going to ask them to come on up. As the, the band comes up, we're going to go into a time of uh, prayer. And I really want, for the most part, I want you guys to think about just what God has forgiven us for, how much that really means to us, and what that could do for your life. Maybe you have another need. Maybe you have a need. You say, look, this is my need, and I know it's evident, and everybody can see it, and that's what I'm struggling with. Absolutely come and pray for that. But if you just have something this morning that you want to look at and say, God, I just want to focus on the forgiveness that you've given me, and I want to be thankful for that this week, and I want to let that overflow into all aspects of my life. I want other people to see the joy that I have because of your forgiveness. I want other people to see that I'm different now than I was because of your forgiveness, and I want to put the priority on that this week. So as they pray, you guys go ahead and stand. Now or after? After? You want to say something after? Okay. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to come into your house. Lord, through all of the, the turmoil, through all of the things that we struggle with, Lord, I pray that we can just use this time to focus on who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, in our greatest need, in our greatest time of, of trouble, you came through and offered us the one thing that we couldn't do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that we will just focus on that and love you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Your 